Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. And welcome back to Morning Walk and Photo Talk. We have talked about critique this week. We've been really into the process, why it's important, how we give it, how we receive it. And then our overall experiences with critique, we tied that up in a big bow yesterday and today. We're going to finish out the week, today and tomorrow, by, well, just today, I guess, um, by talking about this interesting thing that I found. (laughs) Um, Basically, a lot of our discussion around mindset in this room is why the room was initially built, to be quite honest. Um, I purchased the Artist Forge domain last year, and I knew that what I wanted was to kind of foster a place where we could not only talk about um, about mindset, but we could talk about what it actually means to think like and become an artist. Not the techniques, because technique is fluid. Um, there are many things that move across all media and all disciplines. Um, and not just the technique specific to photography, which is why it's called the Artist Forge, but the mindset, the habits, the patterns of behavior, um, the things that you have to do and become in order to be successful, in order to be able to reach your potential as an artist and make the kinds of things that you want to make. And so our early discussions here all really centered around things related to mindset. And there is a stuffed puppy. <laughs> it's just on the sidewalk. Okay. I was, I hope it doesn't like animate and get up and chase me because I'm in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> That's kind of creepy. All right. So yesterday as I was working, came across this author, Charles Clear, giving some interviews on a couple of podcasts. And he really covered things that have been near and dear to my heart throughout the process of kind of forging this community with you all. And habit was one of the big things that he talked about that I want to talk about today. And I know that you've heard me talk about habit in the past, but I think the way that he approaches it and some of the clarity that he's brought to the subject actually is going to make it a little bit easier for us to think about how habit impacts us as artists and ways that we start putting together these habits that will increase or increase our creativity or allow us to start fostering some of the behaviors that are going to get us where we want to go because not all of them in fact building habits can be really incredibly difficult and one of the things that he mentioned this morning that I wanted to share with you before we really got into the meat of the discussion is there's a question around well how long does it take to build a habit 21 days 22 days 66 days and things that he mentioned I want to share with you guys in the Forge Facebook. So if you want to go, please do that because it's fantastic. But basically he said, first of all, the question is showing that you are approaching this idea from a space that's not going to be very helpful to you because it assumes that there is an end. That eventually, all of the sudden, building this habit is done now. 
but that's not actually the way that it works because once you stop practicing a habit, it's not a habit anymore. <laughs> um, you may still feel the occasional twinge or urge to do the thing, but that habit will have been gone. And so when we build habits, we have to stop looking at it as if it's something we can just do enough times and all of a sudden we'll trigger autopilot, but something that is now going to be part of our life. And so as we consider like, okay, I recognize that I want to start building up habits that are going to help me be more creative as an artist. Um, we have to recognize that those are just going to become part of our lives. This is a change in lifestyle that has to be facilitated by your desires and in the way that you think. So that is kind of a starting point for this conversation. I think it's really important. I took a few notes. Since I woke up, I took a few notes. That's not helpful to us. I have to help guide everything a little bit because the way that he approaches goals is not the way that you and I, I think, traditionally think about goals. This idea of, you know, smart goals and then we break things down into individual parts that are actionable and all of this stuff. And um, to kick off the conversation, that's where we're going to start because it, are, it is the habits that get us to the goals. So we had a really great, great quote that I wrote down that I wanted to share with you guys. This is also true for anybody who's ever been in the military. You'll kind of recognize this saying in a bit of a different manner, but you do not rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. It's similar with the military, but we just say you fall to the level of your training, right? Whatever the level of your training is, that's what you're gonna to default to in any situation. And so both the people who succeed in achieving their goals and the people who fail in achieving their goals had the exact same goal, then it's not the goal that defines whether or not we're gonna achieve it. And it's not even how clear the goal is to us that's going to define whether or not we achieve it. It's the systems we put in place to help us get there. And history is rife with these stories of people who have set goals and, and then gone about getting them in really, in ways that were not um, expected at the time, like breaking everything down, getting rid of all the fancy trick plays, all of the fancy training and going back to the basics, right? When everybody thought, well, every, all these guys are professionals, they already know this, but all of a sudden the team starts winning championships. Um, even things as small as, we're gonna change the way we sleep as a team. There's no late nights, there's no et cetera, et cetera. This is now the way we sleep and we're gonna bring our pillows with us even when we're traveling for games to keep that continuity in how we behave. So there's all this really interesting information around goal setting and the idea that these habits are not necessarily habits in the traditional, well, I don't even want to say traditional because the research, fairly recent as research is concerned, but um, we've talked about how habits get embedded in the basal ganglia, um, but also long complex habits take longer to form, which is why when you talk about them as systems, they become a little bit easier to understand because once that system is in place, those habits trigger one another in a sequence that means now you have kind of, it's almost like complex coding. You have these codes that trigger one another that you're able to follow. So um, I know Erica watched the interview. So it'd be great to have um, her thoughts also this morning. But before we do that, I want to ask you, Bassam and Matt, um, have you ever thought about the way that our ultimate success is kind of built on 
these smaller bricks of, I wake up at this time in the morning, I do these things, and the things that I do, these, these individual things that I do reinforce what I believe about myself, and ultimately it's that that gets us to where we want to go, and not necessarily, not necessarily the goals that we have for ourselves. Yeah, I, I, uh, I truly believe in what you just said. It is not necessarily the goals as much as the, the way we, we go about it and the self-discipline that we have in, in going about it. And, and anything we learn about how to, how to get that self-discipline, there's, there's so much stuff out there about how to actually uh, put, that self, you know, get, put that self-discipline in place and at the end of the day, it's what you do with it. And I, I'm going to say that I, 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 as much as I believe in this, I suck at it. Uh, throughout my career, I've had a pretty successful career, but I can't pinpoint um, a, a specific either system or personal process that I went through on a daily basis that made me do what I did, right? But I also, at the same time, cannot pinpoint clear goals that I had, which is a kind of a weird thing because in, in, in essence, I did very well in my career and I got to whatever goals I thought I had, but I never really had goals and I kind of floated through it, yet I was successful. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of bring those two things together in my, in my mind. Right. So like a guy with a, with no discipline essentially, and I know I'm exaggerating when I say that, I'm sure I had some discipline. But I can't pinpoint it, and yet, it to me, I, I define it as success. So that's that's my my first kind of impression of this of this discussion. Yes, and I actually do have a response to that, um, and and something that may that may particularly have been the case. Um, and I'm going to share a story a little bit later. I know some of you have already heard it, but I think it will speak to, I think it will speak to that as well. Um, but before I do that, I want to make sure Matt has a chance to share his thoughts. Yeah, you know, I agree with a lot of what Bassam just said. There have been a lot of instances in my life where those smaller steps are the only thing that have gotten me to where I want it to be. And oftentimes you don't have sight of that in the moment, right? You're so focused on the big goal. Why am I not losing the weight? Why am I not getting better at this craft? Why am I not doing this, that, or the other? And it's because you're focused on this overnight success, easy button, take one good pill and we're done sort of thing. But that 10,000 hours that people talk about, the, the slow, steady progress, the small bricks, however you want to make an analogy for it, those are the things that so long as you stay focused on that, and having faith, and I think we've talked about faith, I am not a religious person, but I have faith in myself that if I continue to put in the work every single day that I'll accomplish my goals. I've been someone that struggled with weight my entire life. The only thing that works for me is, all right, you guys better grab pen and pencil. If you eat right and exercise, weight falls off. I know it's amazing. I'm going to share that with you guys. If you subscribe to my newsletter, I'll give you all sorts of new tips that you can, you know, that you can use, but I refuse to believe <laughs> it's too simple, but, but getting up 
in the morning and walking four or five miles and eating cleanly and taking care of my body and doing um, the right things to get enough sleep and not be out of balance. All of those little things contribute to keeping me healthy and keeping my weight down. If it's training in martial arts, if it's doing any sort of new skill, you're not good at it out of the box. If you are, you're a freak show and I wanna manage you and make a million dollars. If you're like the 99.9% of us that aren't like that, then it's all those little things that really do over time build up. And it's only when you let some time pass and look back that you see how much of that input actually paid off. So when I'm goal setting, we've talked about this, I, I think a couple months back, but I set a large goal. Don't try to focus on the every single day, am I making progress towards it? I just have the faith that I'm going to. So I say, all right, well, I want to be a moderator on the Artist Forward podcast. Well, what do I need to do? I need to talk to Nicole. I need to not be a creep. I need to get you know all my, my thoughts in order, so on and so forth. Over time, that's going to pay off, and I'll be a moderator on the Artist Forge. It's having that faith in ourselves that I think most of us don't have the patience or discipline for. So when Bassam was talking about discipline, that's, that's really all it is in any facet of life, in anything that you're trying to do. It's a little bit of discipline over a long period of time. Okay, there was so much good stuff in both of your comments, and I'm actually really super excited to address these things um, because as soon as I found this yesterday it's it's been on my mind so much okay so there's a couple things first and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell my story and then i'm gonna explain how it relates to what both of you guys said and hopefully it helps um maybe shed some light for you basam on maybe what was happening with you and then also this idea of of discipline right um so so interesting okay so i was in the military when I got pregnant with my first, my first kiddo and I gained a good amount of weight, even though I was healthy and still moving. It was just one of those ladies that gained some weight with her pregnancy. And so after I had my son, um, I just maintained a comfortable level of squish for years. And then when he was five, I had my next kiddo. So I just kind of stayed in this cycle of, of like soft squishiness and I was healthy, but I just had been used to a military level of fitness and so it was uncomfortable for me and I would try different things to lose weight like I did some Zumba stuff and I got a gym membership and I was walking hills with a friend of mine and and that was my first my first look at the fact that I think what I had been told about the discipline of fitness was wrong and here's why I was fit in the military because I didn't have a choice I was in an environment where everybody was fit. It was an expectation that you would be fit and we were all fit together. So we all did the things together. We ran, we did push-ups, we did everything together. And so that was just the environment that you were in. It didn't really take discipline in the sense of willpower, right? Like I better force myself to go down there and do this thing. You just didn't have a choice. So you did it. So there's something to the environmental expectations that we have um, the people that we surround ourselves with that form a kind of floor, right? That you, you really can't fall through because falling through it means you don't get to be here anymore. And we'll find this with all of the groups that we put ourselves in. When you become a photographer, you start looking for a tribe, right? You join online Facebook's group, 
Facebook groups, you join forums, you start looking for your people. And all of a sudden, the norms of that environment, that tribe, that society, slowly become your norms. And there is a kind of minimum level of, that is required of you to be in that space. So once that was gone for me, and it came down to, I just have to force myself to do things I don't like, because I do not like to run. I really do not like working out for the sake of working out. There is no pleasure in that for me at all, which is one of the points of building these systems, these habits, is that there must be some kind of reward built into the action. Not only the long-term reward of um, what we're going after, right? Feeling comfortable in our own bodies or being a master photographer or whatever, but we get rewarded every time we pick up our camera and create something we love or every time we learn the new thing and we put it into practice and all of a sudden now we're better than we were before. So there's a kind of immediate reward baked into the behavior. And for me, in all of the things that I tried to stick with, um, there, that just didn't exist. I was just forcing myself to go to the gym. I was just forcing myself to lift the weight or walk on the treadmill or whatever it was I was doing. And as soon as anything popped up that would give me a reasonable expectation of not fulfilling that thing, um, I would take it. I'd be like, oh no, the kid doesn't feel good this morning or whatever it is, I'm not going. But all of that changed when I found climbing. I started climbing. I immediately loved it. It was everything my small monkey heart was, <laughs> was like trying to do since I was a child. If there was a tree, I was in the top of it. So anything, I, I even climbed stop signs. Um, that's, not, that's not a lie. <laughs> I would climb stop signs. So I immediately, it was the thing for me. And I just, every opportunity I could get to go, I wanted to go. Not because I wanted to lose weight, but because I just really loved the climbing. And then all of the people who were there with me were all climbers as well. And we all had the same goal. So not only did I find something that gave me an immediate reward, I found a tribe of people who were all after the same thing that I was after. And there was a kind of minimum level of expectation amongst those people that you would show up, that you would put your harness and your shoes on and that you would go to work and that we would chat and it would also be fun and we would congratulate each other on our accomplishments, even when we didn't have the same projects. And then all the things, the goals that I would have had for myself just started to happen. I just lost weight. I, went, I wasn't actively trying to, it became the natural function of the behaviors that I was doing. And because the behavior in itself had a reward built into it, I didn't have to try. I didn't have to rely on willpower in order to do the thing, I would have done it even if the result was never losing weight. And as a result of wanting to be a better climber, I was also eating healthier because I wanted a really strong strength to weight ratio. I wanted to be able to pull myself up easily on the times when I needed to rely on strength rather than technique. And so that was a really clear motivation for me. And at that point, I was the fittest I had been since having my kids. And when I look at photos of me <laughs> climbing or bouldering, um, I see all of these back muscles and I'm like, oh my God, COVID has taken so much from me. But really it's not COVID. It's the change in the environment and the change in the people that I'm around. And the fact that now those behaviors are more difficult for me to follow through on because 
I live a half an hour from the gym. Um, I have kids in school right, that make it difficult for me to get there in time. The fact that the commute itself would take an hour out of my day, all of these things all of a sudden stand in the way of me performing those behaviors that I would want to perform. And during that time, my identity was that I was a climber. I was still all of the other things too, still a photographer, still a mom, but I was also a climber. And right now, I cannot reliably say that about myself because I can only manage to get into the gym a few times a month. And so now I am just someone who climbs <laughs> and there's a difference, right? Because when, I, when that becomes my identity, I start practicing the behaviors that reinforce that identity. And so this is a long story with examples in order to show the fact that first, to your point, Bassam, I think when we are in an environment where certain things are expected of us, we fall into those patterns of behavior without really realizing that we have, you know, it's not the same as when you have to willpower muscle your way through some activity that is going to move you towards your goal, but it's not necessarily something that you would have done. Whereas when you surround yourself with people like we do here in the morning, there's a level of expectation that we are all going towards a certain place together. We're all reaching for mastery. We're all heading towards self-actualization. We're all trying to become something. And so these types of thought patterns and behaviors are encouraged and we're able to naturally fall into that without having to muscle our way through habits until they become habits. Um, and then to your point, Matt, I think it's really interesting. One of the things that the author said that really connected with me was basically that people who seem to have great willpower actually just don't come up against temptation enough so that they have those reserves when they do encounter the thing. And that makes a lot of sense when you think about um, if your environment is a, is a certain behaviors all the time, like if everybody in my house loves sugar and so my house is full of sweets and they're always there, but I don't want to eat them, I might be able to resist for a day, for a couple days, for a couple weeks, but eventually, the constant strain on my willpower is going to result in, I'm going to eat the donut. I'm probably going to eat the whole box because I've been trying not to, and I'm just going to crash and burn, right? Whereas when we change our environment to make those behaviors um, easier to complete, and we don't have all of this environmental and social pressure to do the thing, all of a sudden our reserve of willpower goes up and it becomes easier to complete the task. And so I wonder if that example in those things resonate with either of you guys at all in, in what you described as like your experience with how these small bricks of behavior and pattern and uh, almost training, like training yourself, how those build into like the final structure of your goal. A hundred percent. So I think one of the biggest changes in my life, and it's an, it's an actual representation of this, 
one of the biggest changes was moving out of the city and into the country, into a place that's very remote. I would not necessarily suggest for everybody that you move yourself as remote as I did um, and put yourself in the middle of the forest with no neighbors. But what it did was it took me out of the city environment, that rat race of trying to keep up with everybody, of constant comparison, of you know really wearing down my mental state of feeling good about myself. Um, and when I was able to remove myself from that environment of constant heavy competition, trying to keep up with people and so on and so forth, that I was able to quiet my mind and find a little bit more balance. It also you know, kept me from eating out five nights a week and thereby, you know, maintaining my weight a little bit better. It, all the little things that removed me from the environment that was toxic to me that I didn't realize because it's like a frog boiling in water, right? Um, is I didn't realize that it had done so much damage to me over time. And when I was able to separate myself from that environment, a lot of good things emerged same kind of thing um, I've gone through as you, Nicole. Just get all the junk out of your house and you're not going to eat it. And it's more difficult to then go out and buy it and make that constant choice than a conscious choice than to just have it in the house and be unconsciously feeding all the time. So it's it's little bits and pieces setting yourself up for success is what a lot of people call it. So if you don't have it in front of you, you can't be tempted by it. I love that whole line of thinking and I haven't yet watched the video that you posted, but I can't wait to do it because I'm really digging this conversation. Same. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that you were immediately able to find those, um, those similarities because it's, it's crazy when I think about, for me, my parents were both heavy smokers and heavy coffee drinkers, and um, and they smoked pot as well. So from the time I was tiny, and um, for I became an anomaly because those of us who are surrounded in an environment like that and do none of those things, we tend to be um, small miracles, right? And just that, just in the fact that we did not go down that path, my brother opposite of me. He does all the things my, my parents did, maybe with the exception of the heavy coffee drinking. But um, it, is, it is an exact opposite response, which is incredibly rare, which is why when we see success stories of people coming up from the very bottom, they're so amazing and motivated because they were surrounded by an environment that was not at all conducive to the life that they built for themselves. And it's it's kind of amazing how much things can change once you build an environment for yourself or find an environment for yourself that supports building the kind of behaviors that will get you where you want to go. It's just, it's pretty crazy. It's nature versus nurture and epigenetics kind of all at the same time, which is wild. So Basam, I'd love to hear if any of that resonated with like your experience working in the corporate environment and being, you know, managing those teams. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? You said so much there that there is a lot of, a lot to, to cover, but I want to go back to, you know, I'm probably going to have a hard time articulating this, but I'm going to go back to the kind of the first uh, thing you said, which is around the fact that when, when there are built-in systems, like you, you gave the example of the military where we right. train together, we do this together and there's expectations. Uh, that it's a kind of a minimum that's expected for everybody to behave into. Otherwise, they may kind of drop out of the tribe or not belong anymore or, or, or be let go or whatever, right? And it, 
and uh, to me that 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 is absolutely true because that applies in the corporate in any 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 setting and corporate here's it's not just hard systems and processes to get stuff done which and which by the way are extremely important because when you have many many people trying to do the same thing efficiency and 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 the need for getting things done means you need to follow these processes but it's more than those 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 uh, those uh, what I call technical processes or you know it's 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 more about the behaviors that are expected and things like that that kind of define the minimum that everybody needs to behave right my real where where I where I where I was going with my initial story was within that what differentiates people why is it that people make it up the ladder if that's what their definition of success success is yet other people don't make it up the ladder why is it that some people just get there because intuitively they have the leadership skills intuitively they have the the the, the, the you know they have a uh, I, I don't know if you're born with it or I don't I don't know the term but my point is most people do stuff and they don't even realize that they're doing it right and yet others need the the book that says, you know, the five steps to leadership or the 20 things to do to be a good leader. So those those that are intuitively doing it sometimes don't realize what it is. And when they do, they may write a book about it, right? But fundamentally, what I was trying to say is that I can't pinpoint, in my case, whatever my definition of success and whatever my definition of where I got to in, in, my, in my career, I can't pinpoint to... You know, what differentiated me from others is because I have this, 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 and that, right? Mm. And it's not, it's not, hey, by the way, I read 17 books and I was coached and I applied those things and I became what I became. No, to me, I said I floated through it and I'm, it's not a matter of bragging about it. It's just I find it interesting that some people float to something it's what looks like from the outside they float to something or at least they it looks like they don't float to it it looks like they intentionally got there but internally they feel like they just they just float floated to it it just happened so i'm trying to pinpoint what is that you know like why are some artists amazing at creativity and they don't even realize how they do it they just do it and yet most of us are scratching for the how to right yes so, it, so it's the it's the fact that it's nebulous for most for a lot of people versus hey I applied the ten steps and it worked. That's yes. really what I, I yeah. I don't know if that makes I, any sense. It does, a hundred percent. It hundred percent does. And I think I have a really great metaphor for this. Um, I'm stealing this from C.S. Lewis, which is he wrote in the book Mere Christianity. But picture, if you will, two different factories, and by the time you come to this factory, which we're going to use as the metaphor for you've done enough reflection that you're able to notice the fact that you're in a factory. So we all begin, Basam, like you said, we're just in a factory. We are a spirit living in a body. Okay, we'll use that as the metaphor. We didn't choose the body. We just happen to be in it. And we take it for granted. We do all of the things expected by our parents, by our environment, our school system, our friend group, etc., without ever really wondering why we just fall right into those natural patterns of behavior and then at some point we wake up and realize oh we actually have control over the whole thing like we're actually the manager of this factory okay 
when I look at my factory and you look at yours, you might have a really, really great, healthy machinery. Like there's no rust, the belts have been taken care of. Um, there's plenty of oil in the right places. Like all of these things were kind of preserved in a way by the environment that you were in, by what you learned, by your habits of um, how you think about yourself and all those things. And maybe my factory is kind of falling apart a little bit. I've got a few screws loose, right? And uh, my, my equipment hasn't been very well taken care of. So I have some belts that are coming off and rust happening and all of these things. Your output without effort is just kind of naturally going to be a little bit higher than my output without effort. And you may never actually realize that the reason is because you've kind of built up a way of thinking and a way of being thanks to your environment that are conducive to having a good factory. In order for me to get to the level that you were at naturally, I have to not only recognize that I'm manager of the factory, but now I have to start taking steps to care for and improve my equipment. I have to go in and replace belts. I have to oil things up. I have to tighten screws. I have to start treating my equipment like it is something I can care for and improve upon. And then I will have seen what it took to become a factory like your factory with a similar output. And if you were to realize that you were the manager of your factory and you were to purposefully go, you know what, things are already going pretty good, but I'm gonna upgrade this shit. What do I have to do to upgrade it? Well, I need to sleep well, I need to read these books, I need to break these patterns of behavior, get out of these environments, whatever. All of a sudden, now you start to recognize when you look back at your behaviors and the patterns that help you get there, you realize, okay, I was just well fitted out by the factory I was given, by the environment I was in, by the standards of behavior that were expected. I was just well fitted out to begin. My baseline is this place, right? So I think, at least I hope, that that's kind of an illuminating metaphor um, for the way that we begin with the habits that were instilled in us and built for us. And then hopefully end by recognizing that those patterns are things we can change it's a great it's a great metaphor uh, it really is thanks for for sharing it and uh and i want to push it even further and i know it's probably going too far but even for the that the factory my factory that you described which is a well-oiled machine to start with the the the, the, the extra nuance is that if my screw starts getting loose in my factory, I have the natural, uh, what's the word, not just ability, but awareness to go fix it. Right. Uh, somebody else may not even know where the screw is. So it, it's, it's kind of a combination of both of these things because nothing's perfect. Nothing, everything wears out eventually. So, yeah, that's a great metaphor. Gene uh, has got his hand up. I think we're... Yeah, let's go. Let's, let's grab Gene. Yeah, let me just... Uh, yeah, sorry, that conversation went a little long before we started bringing up friends, but I'm excited to hear. <laughs> Good morning. Yes, I'm, I'm in Manhattan. Um, this is kind of exciting. I, uh, I I made a mistake last night that kind of relates to what we're talking about here. You know, when we're talking about temptation, I, 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 I did think it was uncanny that Nicole was talking about uh, temptation and willpower just as I was walking by the... Uh, 
the Hershey store in Times Square. <laughs> a little rough. I think but, you can be forgiven for that one, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, what, what I can't be forgiven for, you know, is we, we land last night, we get to the hotel, and my wife, you know, had this really excited look on her face because we were going to get settled in the hotel and then walk around Times Square a little bit. We're staying right, right on Times Square. And so... Um, she gets all excited. She's, uh, we're eating in the room. And while we were eating, I jumped on a 24 hour zoom room call, uh, because I've been trying to help out some of the folks with, um, in, in Peter Hurley's doing this NFT thing. So I've been, I've been trying to help everyone kind of wrap their head around NFTs and cryptocurrency and how all this works and how it all connects. And so I jumped in real quick and I was just kind of like walking people through, you know, kind of the process and how to move the cryptocurrency around. And I went a little long, and I noticed that I looked out of the corner of my eye, and I got this look from my wife, and I was like, yeah, cut this off, let's go for a walk. <laughs> so what, what I realized, you know, my, my initial response, which I suppressed, was... It's you are so definitely in Manhattan. Can Is there any way you yeah, can get I'm the sorry. microphone a little bit closer? I'll try. I'm on my headphones right now, but oh, let me just get go. to a quiet place. I'm so sorry. It's um, okay. <laughs> so, so I'm walking to Peter Hurley's place, and i got to make a couple of blocks here. But so um, the, uh, the, the the point is is that, you know, sometimes I, 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 I've learned in the last couple of weeks that Bassam and I are kind of like, we, we were twins that must have been separated at birth. I mean, there's so many similarities that we have and so many things that we've gone through in life that are very similar that, uh, you know, he's... Um, his experience with the corporate world and my experience are very similar. And one of the things that I've really suffered with and what I was thinking about when you were talking earlier um, and when Bassam was talking, you know, about trying to put his finger on, well, I'm going to get off this busy street here. Um, and what Peter was talking, or what you were, uh, what Bassam was talking about with his, uh, um, you know, corporate world um, and, and, you know, just being like naturally, successful, which I'm sure he wasn't. I mean, everybody works their butt off in the corporate world. But the biggest difference that I've learned is, you know, when you're part of an organization or a group, it's even though you're doing your part, and you may have a very big role in that organization, and, and, it, and it's hard work, but at the end of the day, you're part of the, you know, you're on a ship, and, and the ship is going whatever direction, you know, everyone's effort is, is pushing the ship, but you're still on that ship. When you're by yourself, when you're a creator, when you're a solopreneur, when you're operating on your own, you are the ship. There's nobody else driving. And you have to make a lot of those decisions. And you can decide to sit on your couch and the ship literally goes nowhere. Or you can decide to hustle and push it and level up. And then you start moving the ship forward. But that doesn't come naturally for people. And it's definitely a shock to the system when you do that for the first time. When you when you find yourself all of a sudden... Uh, you know, operating on your own, and you miss that, I think, sometimes. I think you miss uh, being part of a larger group, being part of a bigger mission, like you were talking about with the military. You know, you had no choice. I, I It's unbelievable to me. I saw somebody took a picture of me doing photos the other day, and I look at the pictures of me, and I'm just like, my God, I've put on so much weight since I got out of the military. I used to run Army 10-milers without even training for them. And, and now it's like I, I can barely walk 10 blocks without, you know, being winded. And uh, and so, you know, I, I, I miss that for sure. And I think that there's something, you know, in some people 
I, I think the answer to what what the psalm is looking for, and not to be not to you know sound like a cliche, but I really do think that there is a lot to upbringing, but not just upbringing. I think that there are people who have really amazing families, really amazing examples to follow in their life who benefit from that. I think that there are people who have really amazing people and examples in their life who rebel against it and therefore are not able to benefit from it. And then on the other side of the coin, I think there are people who have horrible examples in their life who don't have good, you know, intact families, who, who, who don't have people in their life that love them, you know, when they're young and give them good examples. And they either use that as a crutch or they use that as drive to keep moving forward. And that, that was me, that latter part. The license plate on my car is the Latin phrase ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. And it's a constant reminder to me that I was homeless at 17. I dropped out of high school. My father left when I was 10 years old. I, I don't even know where my mother is. I mean, this was me. There's no reason other than the U.S. Army that I'm not selling drugs in East St. Louis right now or in prison. But, but it was the decision and the, and the, and the calling that, that living well is the best revenge against anything that tries to drag you down in life. And that mentality has driven me and driven me and driven me my entire life. And the ex nihilo saying to me is a constant reminder that, first of all, I came out of nothing, and it's really easy to go right back to nothing if I do nothing. So I've got to do something. And that's what keeps me going every day. And what I realized last night is how much I miss being in an environment or a situation where I actually know what I'm talking about, where I'm, where I'm somewhat of an expert in the room and can help people and people can benefit from my knowledge. When I was in that Zoom call last night talking about NFTs and cryptocurrency, and I got addicted to it, and I forgot that my wife was sitting next to me wanting to walk out Times Square. So it's a very powerful influence, you know, to be drawn into an environment that you're very knowledgeable of. And I think we excel in those environments. But I do try to pull myself out of those comfort zones. And so here I am, and, you know, trying to become a photographer and a videographer. So anyway, that's just my two cents and a couple observations. And I, um, I do hope that uh, uh, Matt enjoys his uh, boiled frogs. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I really appreciate your example, Gene, and sorry for the crunching rocks underfoot. I'm heading back <laughs> toward the pavement, but um, I really appreciate your example because it, it just goes to show that that metaphor of the factory is a really apt one because sometimes what we begin with is not ideal for where we want to go, and then we've got decisions to make. And what I think is the most important for us to realize as we you know, begin to come toward the end of this hour is that our factory does not have to stay what it is. We are malleable. We get the choice on how we want to change and how we want to grow. And that's what I want the end of this conversation to be. So after we hear um, Erica's thoughts, because she also watched the interview, um, after we hear that, we're going to talk about the fact that these habits and these systems are things we can build and optimize for, 
in order to make those behavior changes, those upgrades to our factory easier and uh, more likely to actually stick and stay and benefit us in the long run. So Erica, would love to hear your thoughts. Hey, just, just before Erica and Nicole, I'm gonna be dropping off in about five minutes. I have a meeting with a client, so I'm just gonna quietly drop off, but uh, just thought I'd say that. So go ahead, Erica. Yeah, so um, thank you for the suggestion, Nicole. I'm really glad I watched that video and I enjoyed it. And like you, I think I'm going to get the book because um, I found him uh, relatable and very easy to um, to understand. And uh, I'm an audiobook person, so I hopefully um, hopefully that will be helpful as well. But um, so many great things came from that, and I think that um, you know, of course, starting with the mindset. Um, that you can do something for me is what helps me with the little habits. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm definitely a goal setter. Um, but I think I enjoy the work that goes into working toward it, the process itself, rather than reaching the goals. Because a lot of times I will set my goals, write them down, and then not even look at them again until, you know, that year has passed and, but just put in place the little habits that can help get me closer and be happy in those habits, not necessarily, you know, what milestones I'm achieving, although that helps, you know, it does uh, propel me forward. But I find that when I'm not 100% focused on that end goal, um, but just in the habits that will get me there, I actually reach the goal faster. So, um, so that was one thing that I thought, you know, in, in regards to the, the little habits that get you there. And then, um, and then of course the tribe, the, you know, surrounding yourself with people who have similar goals and, um, who at least understand they may not have the same goals that you do, but they understand they, uh, and will help keep you accountable or at least motivate you to keep going. Um, so those are the two things I pulled most from it, but, um, certainly everything he had to say was amazing. Yes. Ooh. And Erica, I'm so glad you mentioned what you did because it, it brought up, um, this example for me. So, you know, you talked about the fact that when you focus on those, those habits, or we can even say those systems, right? The, the behaviors, when you focus on those things, you reach your goal a lot faster. And there's this really interesting um, example of this. I don't know if people have seen this movie. It's called 28 Days with Sandra Bullock, where she's playing an alcoholic and she goes into rehab. And one of the people that is there is a pitcher, like a major league pitcher. And she in the in you know walks away and she's throwing baseballs basically she's trying to get one through this this tube or something she's mad and she's just taking out her energy and he comes along and he's describing to her what it takes to actually throw the ball through the hoop and basically to simplify all of it what he says is stop trying to get the ball through the hoop focus on the way you hold the ball and focus on the way you stand and focus on the way that you turn your body and move your hip and move your arm. Don't think about the ball going through the hole. Think about these small behaviors that you can control because whether or not the ball actually goes through that hoop is dependent on 8 million factors that you can't control. Somebody could come along and get in between you and the goal. 
Um, all of these things could potentially happen, but what you can control are these little behaviors, the way you hold it, the way you stand, all of that stuff. And I think the same thing is true for us that once we build systems, patterns of behavior, things that we do, and when we believe that we are the kind of people who do these things, and then those behaviors become the proof that we are that kind of person, all of a sudden we are focusing now on the things we can control and not getting the ball through the hoop. And as a result, we master the behaviors and the goal becomes a side product almost. Yeah, and, and Nicole, that's, that's great. And I want to add to that in that there's also the aspect of uh, not just the process, but steps and uh, steps towards the goals or mini goals within that. So uh, an analogy would be, I, I suck at golf, by the way, but when I golf, one thing I learned that when you're putting and you're, let's say, 30 feet away from the hole, yes, focus on how you hold the club, focus where you're aiming, but don't aim for the hole. Find something that's five feet away and aim for that spot because if you hit that spot, there's a better chance that you're going to hit your next goal on, on top of holding the club right and hitting the right, you know, with the right force and so on. So it's, it's, it's uh, so that's a kind of a, a, another aspect of don't focus on the end goal, just do the right things, including mini goals. Right. And I think there's also something really important. Oh, hello, dogs. I think there's something also really important there, which is, and we talked about this before, it's been months now, but we talked about the fact that, um, once the goal happens, it's done, right? Like it, it, it's over. The thing that you were working for is over. And so it only has an effect. It's minimal. I mean, you might be able to ride some of the, you know, afterglow or some of the success of that goal, but it's a really fleeting thing. What stays is the journey. Like you are in that journey for way, 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 way longer and you're gonna enjoy the goal that you've reached because pretty soon having that goal is going to fall down to the level of everyday life again. Um, even if that's, I bought a house, oh my God, I've wanted to own a house my whole life. In 15 months, you're not gonna have the same feeling about that house, especially when you have to replace the roof and other things happen, right? Even though you're still living in the same house, it falls back down to the level of normalcy for you. But the patterns of behavior that got you to that house, the way that you live your life is the thing that stays. And so I talked about the fact that I wanted to find a way to have those patterns of behavior that I don't hate, <laughs> right? Um, that doesn't require me to just be in the suck the whole time, um, which is what going to the gym feels like for me and going running feels like for me. It feels like being in the suck. I hate it. I don't want to do it. And my end goal, this nebulous idea of being fit or being able to do whatever is not enough to motivate me to keep going toward the thing. Um, I need the process to be enjoyable or at least to have some kind of immediate reward that makes it worthwhile. And that's why earlier I mentioned climbing. And I think when we're starting to build these systems, these patterns of behavior, um, we want to build them in a way, not only that we have feedback, 
and we have some kind of positive reward loop that's happening, but we have to make sure that those rewards are also tied into our values and our goals, right? So what keeps me showing up here five days a week and walking in the morning is you guys. It's being with you guys and knowing that as a group together, um, we're making a difference in each other's lives. And being able to be part of that good thing will keep me waking up earlier in the morning and showing up and doing research and being able to talk about topics like this. And so no matter where we intend to go as artists, as business people, as entrepreneurs, as human beings, um, we have to remember that if we have struggled and if we have felt like, you know what, the, all of these things are happening for other people, they don't seem to be happening for me, I keep trying and trying. I keep going to the gym. I keep getting on these diets. I'm using this as a, you know, analogy. I keep doing these things and I still can't get where I want to go. There's a really good chance. First of all, I think we need to recognize there's nothing wrong with you. If you haven't got there yet, there is nothing wrong with you. It might just be taking you longer to repair your factory than it took somebody who just began with a factory that was in good shape, okay? So there is nothing wrong with us if we're not where we wanted to be. Recognizing that, it's time that we start loving ourselves enough to put systems in place that we not only enjoy, but that give us the daily life that we want to live. Not just the goal we're going for, some idea of having a successful business or you know, making $200,000 a year or whatever it is that this, this kind of long-term big goal we have, but it builds for us the daily life that we want to live, where we have the time for the things that we enjoy and the habits that we're building for ourselves pay us off, not just in the long-term, but in the short-term, that they have um, the effect of making everyday life better and then we know that those things, those good things that make today great are also going to make tomorrow great. And five years from now, we're going to look up all of the sudden and realize while I was enjoying my life, I also got to where I wanted to go and I didn't hate the journey. It was actually pretty awesome. And that doesn't mean that there won't be hard times. And that doesn't mean that we are not going to still struggle or have some catastrophic failure in our factory. We're going to have to go fix that thing. But we know, like Bassam said earlier, when you have a good baseline, it's a lot easier for you to tell when something goes wrong. And so when you can build those daily habits, those patterns of behavior that make everyday life pretty good, when something falls off the wire, you're going to notice that loose screw before it becomes a broken down machine. And if we do those things, I think not only are we just going to be happier in our day-to-day -day life, but we're going to start finding, like Erica mentioned, we're reaching those goals sooner and we're getting the things that we were after without really realizing it. And this is the mistake that people made when that movie and book, et cetera, The Secret came out. When they were talking about manifestation, they were making it sound like somehow purely your vibrations and your desire for a thing is what was going to bring it about. And what they failed to recognize is that once you start taking those behaviors 
you don't even realize that you're doing them anymore. That's where the power of those habits come in. All of a sudden, you've been doing these things for two months, and it just feels to do them. You get up and you go for a walk every day. You show up here every day. Maybe you journal, whatever it is, and you forget that you have built these things for yourself. They just become part of normal life. So when the good thing finally happens, you're like, whoa, I can't believe it happened. <laughs> when really you were working toward it the whole time, you just built the work in a way that you liked doing it. And so you had to stop thinking about it. It just became normal. So I hope that that and this idea gives us a little bit of hope. And I want to make sure we've got time for final thoughts. So I realized I brought us to the end of our hour. Um, I want to make sure that we have some time for final thoughts. So at the end here, y'all, what are you thinking? Go ahead, man. Going with the, you know, is it necessary <laughs> that we've been talking about all week? I don't think there's anything that I could possibly say that hasn't been covered here. Um, I think some of the analogies and the examples that you used, Nicole, were spot on. And I'm actually going to, hopefully, uh, once I get a chance to watch that that video, is have a longer conversation with you or maybe revisit this next week because I really I love this topic. I love talking about it. I kind of wish David was here to dump a little bit of his um, professorial psychology on us. Um, but, yeah, I love this topic. I think, you know, as long as we keep in mind it's the small steps that build into something larger then you really can't go wrong and that applies to every part of life so um that is my very very poor last thought of the day it's not poor and also i want to challenge something that you said really quickly because i think it's valuable is it necessary even if you and i say the same thing because you're saying it through the lens of who you are it might connect with people who can't connect with what I say. So sometimes even if we're repeating, I think we should not be afraid because you being awesome and you being Matt, um, the way that you say things might connect with somebody in a way that I can't. So I don't want you guys to ever be afraid to repeat, even if it's the same because your example or just the way that you put things um, might be the key that unlocks it for somebody. So I can really appreciate that. Thanks for saying that. 100%. Gauntlet thrown, people. <laughs> Don't be afraid to say the thing. Um, I'm always afraid to say. I'm always afraid to say the thing. Sometimes my my humor gets in the way of making my point, and sometimes I get a little long-winded, and I know that. I just wanted to to add. Um, I, I I I apologize for recommending. Uh, something when I haven't had a chance to, to watch the interview that you posted. I really, I, I'm going to watch that this weekend, I promise. But I, I'm watching a documentary on Netflix right now. I'm, I'm, that's a four-part series. I'm, I'm through the third part. I still have to watch the last part. Uh, about the Inspiration4 mission uh, for SpaceX. And one of the things that really jumped out, a couple of things jumped out at me. It was the first time I really had a chance to see uh, Jared Isaacson, uh, Isaacman, um, kind of up close, and his his leadership style and the way that he approached that mission is fascinating to watch. And one of the things that really uh, resonated with me that I was reminded of when Bassam was talking about gold, when we were talking about gold in here, is they were going through the initial kickoff briefings for the mission, and there's you know the there's this concept that 
you know, you, you like the the uh, uh, the uh, blue or the the blue origin mission, you know, just goes up, uh, skips into space for a few minutes, and then comes back down. Well, these guys are gonna they were gonna go to space for three days and orbit the Earth for three days, and so the question came up as far as altitude, and they had planned on going, you know, up to near-Earth orbit and, and orbiting around the Earth just below the space station. Well, Jared's question was, well, why aren't we going higher than the space station? And the engineers all looked at each other and they were like, well, you know, that'll put more stress on the on the spacecraft and, you know, there's more uh, engineering we got to figure out. We, we have to test that theory. And we, we just, you know, and Jared just looked around the room and he's just like, guys, like, what what's the point? Like, we're, we want to go to Mars. That's the whole mission here. So if we can't get up higher than the space station, then what's the point of this mission? What are we accomplishing other than, than putting four civilians on a rocket and launching them into space? Like, what are we really, what's the symbolism of this mission going to be if we can't advance our exploration of space just that much further than the space station? And the engineers all looked at each other and people whispered in their ears and everything and Finally, they said, "Okay, okay, Jerry, we're we're going to figure that out, and we'll make that happen." But what it what it meant to me was how important really hard goals and and those extension goals, like when Bassan was talking about aiming a little bit further. You know, there's so much symbolism and so much uh, impact that setting high goals can have. Um, that I I I think that that's another thing that plays into my. It's something that I've always really resonated with. I've always tried to set my goals really high, and I, I thought that was a brilliant, um, you know, decision on Jared's part. And I think it meant a lot to the crew, and it meant a lot to everybody at SpaceX that they were able to accomplish that. So I just wanted to bring that up as a, a really cool example of, of um, you know, creating a stretch goal that goes kind of beyond what everybody thought they could do. And it was a really cool uh, part of the story. Yeah, right on. Um, I think certainly we don't want to be afraid, you know, to push ourselves beyond where we think we can go. And it's crazy that these small habits and these little, remember that the way that you think is a habit, your habits of thought are part of this as well. It's not just the behaviors, but it's your habits of thought because those habits of thought lead to behaviors. And so for him to be able to think past where we're at now um, is pushing us to build the habits that will get us there. So definitely an important thing to think about. Um, all right, y'all, Erica, do you have anything before we go? I want to make sure I don't leave anybody out. Uh, other than um, people should listen to that video and possibly read the book. Um, I, I think this is a great conversation. It's a topic I absolutely love and believe in because I've seen how my life has changed um, by working through things like this, by setting the small goals and reaching my, my big goals. Um, uh, it, it has been life changing for me. So um, just do it. Heck yeah. Ending on that note, guys, I hope that today's conversation was valuable for you. Um, again, that, book is Atomic Habits by Charles Clear. I think his name is Charles Clear is the last name, though. I do remember that. Um, Atomic Habits, the book. 
Uh, the interview was on the School of Greatness with Lewis House. So if you, you know, head into the YouTubes, then you can find it that way. Otherwise, the link is in the Facebook group. So if you are in the Facebook group, The Artists Forge, you can go in there and find that link and listen to that. Um, there is a lot to cover, and we took in a lot of the broad points. Um, but But there's so much good information there and so many things that will bring this home for you. And if that is something you're interested in, I highly suggest reading it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because they, oh, you get to hear my son sneeze, um, because you get to, to really dive deep into this topic and, and make it, it'll make it easier for you to make the kind of changes that are going to make life better um, and make it easier to reach your goals. So with that being said, Y'all are amazing. Thank you so much for being here today, for coming up and sharing your thoughts, for listening to me ramble. And I hope that you will be back with us bright and early Monday morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time for the morning walk and photo talk. And you have a really amazing, restorative, wonderful weekend um, that you're doing things that you love and that you go make something amazing. And we'll see you Monday morning. Have a great one, guys. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at The Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.